A number of years ago, I went to Florida, and I was getting trained in a new ministry that I was potentially going to be a part of. There were only three of us getting trained, uh, myself, another gentleman, and our speaker this morning. Uh, I will never forget walking around one evening uh, with Caleb, and Caleb started sharing with me some of the visions that he felt God was giving him for his life. Uh, Be completely honest with you guys. I was uh, super skeptical. He started sharing with me some things that he thought God was calling him to, and they seemed to me to be pretty extreme. And I'll be honest, uh, the skeptical side of me said, that's pretty idealistic. That's probably not going to happen. And Caleb, for the last number of years, has proven my skepticism wrong. He is a man of God who pursues his vision, listens to what God is calling him to do, and has done some incredible things. Just to give you a glimpse of some of those um, things that God has done in and through him and called him to, uh, when we emailed him to come and speak, um, he doesn't speak as much as he once did traveling all over um, the country. He now travels the globe, um, sparking ministry interests that he'll share a little bit more with you about. But uh, when I was emailing with him, um, one of the things he said is that he said, hey, just so you know, um, I'm part of the Samaritan Purse's dart team. If there's a humanitarian need around the world, they fly me out there within 48 hours notice, so I may not be your speaker. Uh, I can commit, but maybe not. That's just one example of many things uh, Caleb was involved in trying to help people all over the globe and go to the darkest places that many people are not willing to go to. Uh, Caleb is the founder of Unusual Soldiers, uh, a ministry that I'm sure you'll hear more about in the next couple of days, and you'll hear more about him, get to know him a little bit more without any more hesitation. Let's welcome Caleb Bislow. All right. Thanks, Goldie. Oh, all right. (laughs) Thanks, Goldie. If I recall, I think when I first met Goldie, I was at the airport, and uh, he was picking me up maybe, and you were wrapped up in like a trash bag or something, like with my name on it. So that was my first impression of Goldie. I was like, no, but that was, uh, was awesome. He was uh, my kind of guy, and uh, man, I love Goldie, and uh, I love being here with him, and I love being here with you, and I uh, can't wait to see what the Lord has in store for us. You know, just two weeks ago, I was in Africa, and it's kind of bizarre that I'm here now, but uh, just uh, hiking through a desert, pulling a, a water jug with the Turkana tribe, and I just wanted to experience the pain and suffering that they go through day in and day out, and I remember getting to their water hole, and it was just a little spring, and then the lady tells me that just a few, uh, two months prior, uh, bandits had come out and killed a couple people as they were uh, collecting water, and uh, my heart broke for her, so we're trying to bring water to those people, but I want you to know before we start, that's, that's the heart behind Unusual Soldiers, is going to dark dangerous and difficult places. And, and I'm not going to necessarily commission you to dangerous places. You might get a lot of parent notes, all right, after this. But uh, I'm going to allow you to see, hopefully uh, this week, what it looks like to get yourself in position to be greatly used by God, to get yourself in that position to be greatly used by God. And, and so I'm going to show you one of these mountains that I I love. It's probably not my favorite mountain because it seems like a lot of people go there. And I've not climbed uh, this mountain, or not many mountains actually, but I love the outdoors. And I got trained in survival years ago in Scotland. And uh, one of the guys that trained me had summited Everest twice. And he told me about the exploit and the dangers and how there's still frozen bodies along the way. And uh, it kind of intrigued me, by the way. I mean, somebody that would actually summit that thing, but actually do it twice. And then, uh, you know, he, he began to tell me some of the stories of it. And I learned about the first guys that ever summited it uh, years and years ago. It's pretty cool. These guys uh, conquered it 
I think it was in the 1940s, and I can't remember exactly, but they, they never said who made it first. They kind of always said, hey, we did it together. You know, I'm guessing it was the Sherpa, all right? But uh, they just don't want to tell you who did it because they wanted people to know it's a team sport. And, and so we're going to do something like that this week. We're going to climb Everest. This is going to be our journey. Don't worry. You don't have to bring oxygen masks. We're going to stay here. But how many of you here are adventurous? Just kind of like, I wouldn't mind climbing Everest someday. Who's the weirdos? Anybody? All right. All right. Oh, two, two hands up there. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably guilty of that as well. I have the adventure blood. Well, we're going to do it visually this week. And uh, this is going to be our journey. If we were to climb Everest, you can see there's, a, there's Camp 1, Camp 2, that's C2, C3. Then up there's Camp 4. And then above Camp 4 is the death zone. All right, so that's where it gets uh, a little risky. And that's not going to be a place for everybody here necessarily. But we are going to explore four different camps on our way up Everest. And if you are a note taker type of person, if you actually brought notes to take, I want to ask you to, you know, a lot of my... Uh, a session, you can actually draw them out, okay? Uh, you can draw a triangle and you can separate it like this. This is going to be the journey that we are going on this week. And, and there are four different traits that I call common traits of an unusual soldier, or four common traits, I'll even say, of a warrior, all right? Of somebody who wants to be greatly used by God. These are four things that I, uh, I began to pray about years and years ago. As I actually, when I met Goldie, somewhere around that time, I began to pray I said, Lord, what are, the, what are the characteristics, what are the traits a person needs to have to be greatly used by you? Because honestly, when I met Goldie, I, I'm from Nebraska, all right? My town can fit in this stadium. Or, is this a stadium? I don't know what you call it. All right, about 1,000 people, uh, okay? That's how big my town is. It's very small from rural Nebraska. It takes me an hour to get to Walmart, all right? So I'm, I'm in the sticks and I remember when I first met Goldie, you know, I just had wild dreams. I was always a wild dreamer. I knew I didn't want to be a farmer. <laughs> and I just said, Lord, I want to travel the world. I want to go to crazy tribes like Indiana Jones, but I want to actually make a difference. And I began to pray, Lord, what are different traits that I need to have? Who do I need to be to be used by you? And these are the things I felt like the Lord began to show me and things that I've talked about ever since. And so at the base, where we're going to head is Humility. If you want to be greatly used by God, I think uh, that's going to be huge, to be a person of humility. And you'll see at the base, if you were to go to Mount Everest, that's where most of the people are at. They're at the base camp. Uh, almost anybody can hike to the base camp and get to the base camp. There, that's where many people are at. But as you begin to go up, you'll see that it, it begins to filter out. And the next one we want to strive after is passion. Going to continue to climb this week. Each, each day is going to be a different session. Then we're going to hit uh, vision. And then, where the few actually make it, we are going to hit courage. And this is the, the level that I would call where the soldiers are at. And then, for those that end up uh, summiting, not, this is not a calling for everybody. This is just a diagram I created for our ministry. But uh, God may call some to go into the danger zone. And those are people that I call unusual soldiers. So we are going to hit these four traits this week, and I want you to kind of just kind of check yourself, see where you're at as we engage in, in talking about these four traits. So let's, uh, let's begin. We're going to start at the base camp. This is what Everest Base Camp would look like if you ever want to go there, and uh, we're going to hike up to Camp 1. So let me ask you this question. If God wants to greatly use somebody, what is the type of person that he looks for? 
What, what's like the first thing he looks for? You know, quickly, uh, if you're to think of TV, you're going to have all kinds of different things come to your mind. Maybe uh, you like spandex dudes. I don't know. Who, who likes superhero movies? All right. Uh, I, uh, how come ever, you guys are only half-hand guys. Nobody's like diehard, whatever. I, I'm, I'm not into the, that kind of stuff. I hope I didn't lose credibility there. But uh, maybe some of you guys might have that image in your mind. Maybe it's Thor. Maybe it's uh, Captain America. Maybe it's... Uh, well, who else is there? Spider-Man, who's the best one? Thor, okay, he's the best looking one, is that right? So, so maybe it's the best looking one, I don't know, who does God choose? Does he look for the most skilled? Does he look for a best looking, most talented, most knowledgeable? Maybe he looks for the person on Instagram with the most followers. He's like, man, this person has a million followers, anybody up to a million yet? Maybe somebody here, all right, that's not a bad thing, by the way, but maybe he, that's what he looks for. I mean, who does God look for? And, and we're quick to think that we need to have those types of things to be greatly used by God, but I'm going to give you maybe a different image here. In fact, did you know Jesus said once, he, he told us who the greatest man who ever lived once. I think it's in Matthew 11, 11. Uh, he was talking about a specific person that, that had, had lived and was alive, and, and Jesus said, this is the greatest, this was a man, all right, a man that ever lived. And you want to know what he looks like? He doesn't look like Captain America. Hollywood makes him look like this. Can you, that, that's Jesus. Jesus said, that's the greatest man who ever lived. Who is it? Who, who, who do you think that is? John the Last name Baptist, right? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. Jesus is saying this wild man is the greatest man that ever lived. And I think the reason Jesus said that, one of the reasons, of course, he went out and he was preparing the way of the Lord. He was putting himself in second place, wasn't he? Even when Jesus came to be baptized by him, he, he, was, he felt unworthy to baptize him. But I love one of the statements that John the Baptist says. He says, uh, talking of the Lord, he must increase, I must decrease. And I think there's a secret there. I think there's something about that. When the Lord searches the world and he looks for people that he can truly use in a powerful way, I think he's looking for that person, that person of humility. So what is humility? Humility is the absence of arrogance and pride. It's actually trying to get to that point, all right? It's a bit of a paradox, which I'll explain in a moment, but uh, let's just pretend for a moment that humility and its uh, adversary, pride, are going to have an arm wrestling match, all right? So here they are, humility and pride, about to arm wrestle. I want you to stand up for a moment. Yeah, everybody stand up. Okay, here you go. And uh, so this is humility versus pride. I want you to turn to the arm that you think humility is. If you think this one, this guy over here is humility, turn that way. If you think humility is this guy over here, I want you to turn that way. So go ahead and turn to the one that you think is humility. All right, I'm watching. No, no, none of this half-hearted stuff. I'm seeing you guys like, no, all right. Okay, okay. It looks like the majority are going this way. All right. All right, uh, who's going this way? Raise your hands, I can't even see you. Oh, we got a few going this way? Okay, just a few. All right, Goldie's going this way. All right, okay, go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Okay, I had no, I've never done that before, but uh, I will say that nine-tenths of you, that's 90% of you, we're going this way to the weak. 
And that's why in reason I don't enjoy talking about humility, especially a first session, because humility sounds boring, doesn't it? Strive to be humble. Is that exciting? But I'll tell you who I think it is. I think it's the one that wins. I don't know which one that is, but I think it's the one that wins. But oftentimes we think, oh, humility's weak. We got to be weak. But I think there is great, great strength in humility. So it's a bit of a paradox. It's a bit of a, of a tug of war. And I learned something years ago during driver's ed. Anybody 16 yet just driving? Anybody do driver's ed? I remember uh, doing driver's ed and I was, uh, I was excited. I remember uh, there was a large group of us and, I, and there was all these kind of all these junked out cars and there was one Mustang and everybody was fighting. Like, dude, I get the Mustang, I get the Mustang. And everybody was going for the keys. Uh, the lady had the keys dangling them. And who doesn't want the Mustang? You know, everybody's so excited to get the Mustang. Everybody's fighting. Then there was one guy who wasn't saying anything. Guess who got the keys? The quiet guy, right? The guy that wasn't saying anything. The guy that wasn't fighting for the Mustang. Boom. Got the keys to the Mustang. And that's the guy that ends up driving around in that, that Mustang. Of course, all his friends were telling him to squeal the tires and stuff, all right? That's another story. But uh, I, I realized something that day, that that guy, quieter-natured person, got the keys. And I think the Lord is somewhat similar when he looks for people to choose to use in great ways. But let me ruin this illustration, because you know who got the Mustang? I did. Oh, now am I still humble? Or did I just blow my cover? I mean, that's the weird thing about humility, isn't it? Once you claim you got it, you lost it. You know, it's something you want to pray for, but you never want to, like, say, God, thank you that I arrived at it. It's a continuous striving to get to a place of humility. Uh, I wish we could have a nice little altar call and we all become humble people today, but it's a continuous process day in and day out to journey to becoming a person of humility. So again, if you're a note taker, you can draw this little sketch in your, uh, in your book or in your uh, notes, all right? Uh, you might want to bring a note to, notebook in the future. Um, this is going to be kind of a graph that I want to show you today. And as I go through this, I want to show you what it looks like to be on the quest for humility. And I want you to begin to kind of gauge yourself. So this is kind of a war room talk, all right? I want you to kind of just kind of notice the areas that maybe you're strong in, but maybe there's an area that you are uh, struggling in. So at the top of the stairs, that's, uh, that's where many people uh, are striving at in our society. They want to be at the top. They want to work their way up the ladder. They want to step on others at times, do whatever it takes to get to that top to become uh, the king or the queen, we'll say. But humility descends. And this GH is God's heart. Now, when we think of chasing after God's heart, who's the first person that comes to your mind. Anybody remember David in the Bible? All right, David is a, is a very, what? Yeah, he's known for that, right? He's known as a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were known for that, a woman or a man after God's own heart? And I want you to look for a moment, if you have your Bibles, uh, at how it all started for David. If not, you might be able to read some of that. I'm going to just kind of skip through it. But uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we are going to see the calling of David when, uh, when God decided to call David to, to something great. 
And it says this in, in verse 6. It says uh, that Samuel, who was the prophet then, went out and he looked for the next king, to, to, to anoint the next king. And when he arrived, he, he arrived at this place uh, known as Jesse's place. All right, Jesse was the father of many sons and he arrived there. And in verse 6 it says, Samuel saw Eliab, who was one of his sons, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He thought, it's got to be Eliab. He's got to be the one. This prophet was thinking that. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Remember that big, big list we made earlier of all those skills and talents and all the, the popularity? I mean, that's what people look at. That's what we think. But I love that Samuel says, the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, Jesse said, well, they're still the youngest, but he, he's, out, he's out watching the sheep. And you know, many places when I go... Uh, overseas in Africa and other places. I see shepherds all the time, and many times they're like 12 years old. Uh, they're, they're just young boys. I was going to bring my son up here. Asher's way up there in the back corner. Asher, can you stand up? Yeah, I, I won't make you come up here. All right, but that's what a 12-year-old looks like, just so you know, okay? Uh, that would be, if I was in Africa, he'd be the one out with the sheep somewhere, all right? You'll notice he's not up here up front with all of you. He's kind of in the back. That was David. Somewhere David was out with the sheep. And, I, and then uh, look what he says next here. He says, are these all the sons you have? There's the youngest. He's out with the sheep. Then Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. I don't know. Many places overseas, those shepherds are way out there. So I don't know how far they had to go to find him. But uh, they go, they send for him, and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health. He had a fine appearance, all right, so God still uses good-looking people, all right, so that's good if you're good-looking, all right, so you don't all have to look like John the Baptist. He was handsome with features, but then the Lord said, rise and anoint him, this is the one. And uh, I, I love the image, I imagine that David was probably uh, on his knees, uh, getting anointed, and, and it became known to him that he would become the next king. Of, of Israel, that God chose somebody like him. And as we read through it, uh, more about David, we learn that he is a man who chased after God's own heart. That was his primary goal. And so I want to show you some things that as I studied David's life, some things about him that I think made him qualified to be chosen by the Lord. Qualities of humility. And, uh, and so as we look at this, we'll see one of the first things we'll see is that David was teachable. You ever met somebody who knows all the answers? Like they got it all figured out? Uh, a lot of times that, that might not be the trait that God's looking for. I, I love uh, being with people that sometimes they ask questions. And, and, and that's a good way to kind of gauge if you're teachable or not. Are you a person that asks, asks questions? Are you a person that tries to learn more, especially in, in following 
the Lord. We can see here with David, I love his Psalms because he was probably out uh, with those sheep in those early days all the time just trying to learn more about, about the Lord. I imagine he was worshiping the Lord. And I love what it says in Psalms when David is saying this in his Psalm. He says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. He's like, Lord, I want to be taught by you. I want to know how to live for you. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are my God, our God, my Savior, and my hope is in doing is in, I don't know, I messed that up. But <laughs> then he says uh, this, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. David was a pursuer of, uh, of learning more and more about God. That's, that's a trait, that's a part of humility. Next thing we see in David, uh, we, he ends up uh, not only being anointed, but you go over a, a chapter later in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he ends up uh, being a guy that uh, hears about the battle going on. And here he is, still a young boy, right? And he goes out and he sees uh, what's happening. He sees uh, Goliath now is, is, is challenging one person to fight of the Israelites. Nobody's stepping up to it. His, his older, bigger, stronger brothers are there, but they're not stepping up to the challenge to take on Goliath. And, and I love what David uh, begins to do there as he, as he goes out. He, uh, he begins to volunteer himself to the king at that time, to, to King uh, Saul and, and, and says, I, I can take this guy on, I think, but not in my strength, in the Lord's strength. And he says this to him. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And so even as David was beginning to contemplate being the one to go out and fight Goliath, he was always putting the Lord first. He, he didn't say, hey, I used to fight lions out as a shepherd. He didn't say, I used to fight a bear. He said, the Lord rescued me from those those animals, and, and I believe the Lord, here he is talking about the Lord, can, can use me to fight him in this, in this moment. And so here we see that David is a man who, who relies on God. And, and many times when I look at my own life, you know, I look at uh, shortly after I met Goldie, I ended up uh, uh, going to Africa as, a, as a, I was a youth pastor, but I would quit my youth pastor job, and I decided I was going to go to Africa, and I found out they were fighting over there, the, the Maasai tribe was fighting the Kikuyu tribe, and, and I, I, had, I was a graphic design major in college, so I felt very inadequate to even go to Africa, and, uh, and my guide over there, I heard, was going to be some bushman from a tribe. I, didn't, I don't just go to countries and meet bushman that lives in huts made out of cow dung, but here I was, I felt called to go, and I remember in that, on that first trip just uh, praying, Lord, I feel inadequate uh, I can't do this, and, and, uh, and I, I didn't have a good strategy. I didn't know how to go about this, but I had a dream of reaching villages that had never heard of Christ before. I had never done anything like that. And, uh, and uh, finally, it all worked out uh, one night as I was praying at a bridge, and I was about to tell the Lord, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, but I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to go. And as we were there, I remember meeting this bushman named Simon, and, uh, and we would go to the far remote areas of, of Africa in, in deep Kenya. And, and this guy was a unique guy. He wouldn't have been the first draft pick. But he was a humble guy who wanted to be used by the Lord. And, and it was amazing. I remember the first village we went down into. Uh, these people had never heard of Christ before. In fact, when we went in, uh, the first village, I remember all the kids are crying and they're running and they're hiding from me. 
because they thought I was a ghost, because, uh, yeah, my skin was a different color. They'd never seen a white man. And then I remember uh, my buddy, uh, the Bushman Simon, says, uh, Caleb, you need to now preach the gospel to these people. And I had never done that before. I didn't know how it was going to go. And, and so all I was doing a lot on that trip was relying on the Lord. Like, God, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't have missionary perspectives classes yet. I didn't have, I don't know the strategies. Uh, I did study them enough to know they sacrifice white lambs sometimes. And so I, I remember I shared the gospel with them as best I could and stuttered it out. And as I, and as I did that, I remember that day, uh, that entire village responded and wanted to give their lives to Christ. And in fact, I thought I did something wrong. I thought, uh, I, I even asked my translator, I said, did you just tell them all to raise their hand? What just happened there? He's like, I think it's genuine. And so, uh, and it was really genuine because a church was planted there later. And I don't even know how that happened. And I, I just love those first years of, of going on those places. I, I kind of like those years of just fully relying on the Lord. I remember we go to another village, the last village, and uh, this, this village, they had beaten Christians in the past. And my translator, Simon, says, I feel like we need to go to these places too, Caleb. And so here I am. I was like, I've never been to a place that's beaten Christians. Oh, my goodness. I'm just a youth pastor. And, uh, and I remember walking to this village. And as we're getting closer, I, I said, Simon, are you sure this is a good idea to take the gospel here? And he's like, Caleb. You should know this, Caleb. Here's a, a little bushman, weighs 120 pounds. Caleb, there's no greater way to die than for Jesus Christ, Caleb. Okay, thank you, brother. That's how a Maasai encourages somebody? I mean, my goodness. And, and so here we do. We go down to this village. I don't have a good strategy. I'm like, Lord, I'm relying on you. What do we do? All I have is a water bottle and a little club. And I knew these guys had clubbed the last Christians. I'm like, how do, how do we even share with these guys? And so I remember I put a water bottle out, and I had a club, and I began to throw my club at this water bottle, and I could never hit it. And all the guys your age, yeah, all the high school age guys are like, ugh, white man can't throw. I will show him how to throw. And so they start lining up, and they start chucking their clubs at this water bottle. And you know what was really cool? No offense, guys, but they missed it like 80% of the time. Now, there's a few really good ones, but I started thinking, okay, if they get mad at me for sharing the gospel here in a moment, 80% of them are going to miss me if they throw the club. So I kind of knew how to gauge it and stuff. But as this is going on, you know, I'm still just praying, Lord, I don't even know how to share with these people. I don't know what to do. And, and then an older man, about 80 years old, gets up and says, ah, I'll show the young men how to throw a club. And so he gets up with his club. And he's swinging it over his head. He chucks the club. I don't know where the club went because it went somewhere way up in the air. But this guy tripped over his robe as he threw the club. And he began to roll a couple somersaults down the hill. I'm just relying on God now, right? I don't know what I'm doing. Lord, help me. I don't know. This has got to be bad. You know, they're not going to club me. They're going to barbecue me. I don't know what's going to happen now. And the worst part was is that his robe went over his head. We all saw the full moon, guys. Do you know what that is still? Am I too old? I mean, we saw way too much information. The whole tribe did, all right? And it was more than the moon, okay? And I thought, this, is, this went bad. And Lord, we're like praying, Lord, I don't know what to do now. Uh, and then Simon's like, uh, maybe we should preach. I don't know. But you know what the tribe was doing? Same thing you're doing. Uh, they're all laughing at the older guy. It's like, I didn't know if that was a good idea or not, but the, the, that guy got up and he started laughing. 
I was like, oh, good. They think this is funny because I would have laughed if that was my grandpa in America. And so they all thought it was funny. And I remember we shared uh, the Lord with them, shared about salvation and who Jesus was. And about half of them responded to the Lord. Even that guy that rolled down the hill and even a couple, I think it was two or three men that had, had previously beaten Christians came to Christ that day. I never would have dreamed that would happen. And you know, my, my main strategy on that first trip was just relying on God and praying like crazy. Lord, guide me. And sometimes I miss that because that was like almost 20 years ago now. And you know what I know now? I know strategies. I've been trained a hundred million times. I know all the ins and outs of what missions does. But a lot of times, and I think even if I were to dare to say probably my most fruitful times were those seasons that I fully relied on God. So humility is, a, is someone who relies on God. And humility is also someone who seeks to, uh, to glorify God. If you were to go on, I, I love as David is preparing then to fight Goliath, as we look at his life, uh, I love uh, war speeches. I love to see what people say or what a commander says, if you ever watch movies, what they say before they go off to war. Uh, I love uh, hearing those speeches. In fact, uh, you know, um, yeah, I just heard some. Actually, I was in Ukraine on, on where the war was at with Samaritan's Purse just a few months ago. And, and even hearing the banter there of what people say when you go in, uh, just all the dangers. Uh, are you ready to give your life? Are you ready for this? I mean, I remember being trained as we were going, you know, 20 miles from the front of the war, just uh, really contemplating uh, those types of things and, and remembering to, that it's all for the glory of the Lord. And here, here in this moment, David is, is getting ready to give his, his war speech. If you remember, pride comes out, right? Goliath is a good symbol of pride. Uh, bro, uh, Goliath looks at David as they're about to fight, and he says, am I a dog that this guy comes at me with sticks? And then he says, come here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David, how old is he? I don't know, 12 to 14? Who's 13? Who's 13, 14? Who's, who's my 13-year-olds here? 13, raise your hands high. No, no, 13. Oh, this is high school. 14? All right. 15? 15? You guys forgot. Okay, there we go. All right. Trying to figure out how my young ones are, but it'd be one of the younger ones, maybe in this room. I'm not sure how old David was, but look what David says at this man who's nine feet tall. He looks back at him and he says, you come to me with sword and spear. Look how many times he kind of glorifies the Lord as he talks. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and, and cut off your head. I don't remember that in grade school, uh, Bible school class. When uh, You guys remember that? Cut off your head part. Uh, but he, he was going at him, wasn't he? And he says, this very day I'll give your carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds, and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Did you hear that? He says, my goal is that the whole world's going to know there's a God in Israel. This is almost like a weird, twisted mission trip, right? Please don't go out and do this, all right? But here, here we go. David is all about making the message of the Lord known to, to all the world. He's seeking to glorify God. You can see that as he's uh, preparing his 
fight. And as you know, David goes out and he's victorious with Goliath, right? He goes out and he's victorious with him. But then David, shortly after that, he has a big issue with King Saul. King Saul uh, sees that David, after he defeated Goliath, becomes popular. And, and now King Saul is, is, is angry and he begins chasing David all throughout the land, wanting to kill David because of the popularity that he gained. And eventually David is out hiding in a place called the Cave of Adullam. And I imagine David was probably thinking, Lord, I remember that day that I knelt down and I was anointed. And here I am now in a cave, hiding from the king. And he was probably questioning the Lord a little bit. But I love what happens as David's there. If you're to read the story, you'll notice, uh, if you go over just a little bit more, you'll notice that uh, David is sitting there and these men show up. And it says, as David is in the cave of Adullam, it says all those, in 1 Samuel 22, it says all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and became their commander. And so here's David now with all these ragmuffin men, probably men who, if they weren't walking in humility, they've been humbled. They can't figure out their life. And what David does next is something amazing. He begins to elevate these men. He begins to empower them. When I look at you guys, I don't see a bunch of students. I see an army of people that could be used powerfully by God. And David began to elevate these men. And and a lot of them eventually became his mighty men. And they had stories way beyond fighting Goliath. They had probably better war stories than David. Some of them fought 300 men. One dude against 300. I mean, they did amazing exploits. And that's one of the things David began to do was elevate other people. A person of humility is not all about them, but many times it's about encouraging and lifting other people up. And let's go on to this last one. Sometimes this is the hardest one. Humility admits weakness. Humility will admit weakness. And as you were to follow the story of David, you'll know that, you know, he, he relied on God, kind of like me in the early days, really well, right? And then he, he began to get things figured out. He began to count up his army at times, and, and he began to fall into sin at times. He even, you know, slept with another woman who wasn't his wife and did some horrible things. But one thing I love about David is that he is a man who admits his weakness. He's a man who once again probably found himself on his knees saying, God, I messed up. God created me a clean heart. That's what he says in the book of Psalms. Create a new spirit within me. Make me new. And I love that he continues to be a man of humility even when he makes mistakes. So this is what I believe is the path to greatness. And if you want to look at it closely, you'll even notice it's, a, it's an acronym of, of great, right? But it's descending into greatness. It's becoming a person of greatness. Now as you look at that, I would, I would like to ask you for a moment just to look at those. Which one's the hardest for you? As you go to a prayer time at some point this week, I would even maybe spend that prayer time asking the Lord to make you a person of humility and maybe asking the Lord to help you with one of those five steps downward right there. Who would be bold enough to say uh, which one is the hardest for them? I'm going to ask you to say it out loud. Anybody got one? Admitting weakness? All right, just look for a moment. Yeah. How about elevating others? Is that one glorifying God? Yeah, I see little hands going up. Just look at those for a moment. And I want you to think about that.
Which one of those do you need to work on? I'm going to close with a story. There was a girl who went through our training years ago when I was a youth pastor. It was called Unusual Soldiers. She was the most uh, inadequate girl to be a part of it because uh, she was scared of everything. She was scared to order food at McDonald's. But she was a girl of humility, and she said, can I be a part of your program? I don't think God can use me, but I'm, I, I love to be a part of whatever uh, it is to be bold and radical for Jesus. And I remember little Mandy, uh, we let her in, and uh, we saw that girl. She was just a humble, humble girl, but she was a hungry girl, hungry after God's heart. And she went after God like I'd never seen. In fact, uh, years later, Mandy uh, began to say, uh, Caleb, I want to be really used by God. And I remember she said, uh, I'm working in a bookstore now, Caleb. And, uh, you know, I used to even be afraid to talk to people across the, the cashier line at, at McDonald's. But now I'm a cashier. And she said, but Caleb, at this bookstore, they sell pornography. And Caleb, I don't think I want to sell it. Well, I told her, I said, Mandy, but, uh, you know, you're, you work at a bookstore. You probably should sell it. You don't have to look at it, you know. But, uh, and she said, no, I'm not going to sell it. It's like, that ain't going to go good. Um, good luck. Basically, I didn't know what to tell her as a youth pastor. And I remember uh, she finally got permission from the, the leader at the, uh, at the bookstore to tell people to go to another bookstore to get that stuff. And so one day these guys come up and they have this pornography right there. And they're like, hey, we want to buy this. And, and uh, Mandy looks at him and says, hey, I'm sorry. I, I, we, we, we can't sell this to you here. And they're like, of course you can. We've got it here before. Please, let's buy this. No, no jokes. Let's, let's buy it and get out of here. He's like, no. And, and she went bold on him. And she said, you know what? Uh, that, that's going to wreck your life. And that's going to ruin your family down the, down the road. So if you want it, you can go down somewhere else and buy it. But you can't buy that here. She's an introvert, all right? And she just went bold on him. And they, I would love to see their face. But I, I imagine it was something like, dude. All right, all right. Well, I mean, I imagine they just got out of there. But I imagine they've never forgot it to this day. You know, here this little timid, humble Mandy begins to become bold. And, and later her father calls her up, who's broken up from her, her uh, family, calls her at Christmas time and says, Mandy, what do you want for Christmas? And she says, uh, Dad, I want to I wanna know that you'll be in heaven. And she goes through the plan of salvation. And next thing Mandy knows is she's leading her father to Christ over a, uh, over a phone conversation. Here's this humble girl that's now becoming bold. Well, she went to Bible, or Moody Bible Institute a few years later, and uh, she went into missions. You know where she went? She just went and decided to go to Iraq. I'll just go to Iraq. And so here she goes to Iraq as a missionary to work with the Kurds to one of the most dangerous places in the world. And here she's being used by God in great ways even to this day. And I'm always amazed at her story because I remember how she started. And I imagine she started like a lot of you, kind of like, can God really use me? Can God really do something great through me? Well, I would say, hey, continue to walk humbly with him and continue to keep your hands open. So, Lord, I thank you so much for this group uh, here, God. And I pray that you would be with us as we go through these traits uh, this week. I pray that we would be people that begin to walk in humility as we go through our prayer times, God. Uh, I pray that uh, we would at times fall to our knees and say, God, here I am. If some people have never done that before, I pray that there would be a moment of just saying, maybe even surrender. God, I give you my life. God, I've sinned. Uh, God, can, may, may you take my life. May you use me. And God, I pray that you would begin a great work in the hearts of students during their prayer time with you this week, God. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your great adventure. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.